0: Hello again, everybody. After one more hiccup, we are back on Wrong and Wronger. I am Steve, old, decaying, decrepit, out of shape, believe us, and he is James, young, healthy, some might say vivacious, maybe wrong, vibrant, breakwell, and James. I know your life is touched by the whispering lips of an angel. And so just uh, bring us up to date. Anything going on with you?
1: No, not not a thing. Nothing comes to mind at all.
0: Thanks for another scintillating episode.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so it hurts to laugh. That's an interesting thing to discover. (laughs) It's a good thing you're my co-host. It won't be an issue.
0: and that also says you haven't laughed in several days which is oh. kind of shocking knowing you like I do but anyway uh, there there is pain radiating from another region of your body that almost ended you and yes. I Kidding aside, man, you went through something extremely dangerous, James.
1: Yeah, I w- my appendix exploded and I went into septic shock, which would not have happened if they diagnosed me correctly the first time I went yeah. in when the pain was only moderate. And I was like, hey, this is this is not good. There should not be pain here. I cannot sleep with this. You, a medical professional, I am paying at 3.30 a.m. On a, on a Wednesday. Please look into this. <laughs> and, you know, you think they judging by, you know, I'm not just going to go in there and pay in. ER copay on a whim. You would think they would take that seriously. And yet, and yet, they, they ushered me out the door. So, well, it's not anything. They ruled out appendicitis and kidney stones and diverticulitis. They ruled out everything dangerous. And it's like, so what do I have? Why do I have extreme pain that won't let me sleep? And they just kind of shrugged and told me to take some Tylenol. And so I left because I don't know what else you do in that situation. And shockingly, doing nothing did not fix the problem. In fact, it almost oh. killed me. And that's what my newsletter was about this week. Steve, so I, Steve, being the good friend that he is, I did not, uh, I did not text him once over the past five days, <laughs> not one. Although I've been posting on Twitter, you never texted me. Did you not see all the hospital selfies I posted? Not one time did you reach out and say, "Hey, why are you in the hospital?"
0: I'm fairly certain I have you blocked James. okay that's just, uh... that's fair,
1: that's fair so i, I yeah I, I should have I should have messaged you at some point. I had nothing else to do in the hospital hospital, but yet I did not. so yeah, I ended up in there and and, and Steve just saw the newsletter like ten minutes ago, and he, he just recently discovered, oh, you almost died last week. How, so how's that going that's 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 the background for this conversation right here. This is literally the first time we have spoken since i since I nearly passed off this earth.
0: Nearly passed off this earth. And appendicitis seems like one of the easier diagnoses to make, just given where the pain is coming from and the type of pain you were describing. I'm surprised they were flippant about just disregarding that outright. Like uh, your explanations in your newsletter. Did not seem to compute, I'm sure, with most of the medical professionals out there. I, I really am surprised that that wasn't at the top of their hit list.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it should have been. And there was actually, so the second time I went back to the same ER, but with a better set of medical professionals, like one of the nurses there, it's like, oh yeah, when you were describing your symptoms, I knew that was appendicitis. She's like, my okay. mind did the same thing. It feels like you've got bad gas that's stuck. And then she said, then she took herself to the ER, and because she was a nurse, they, they took her seriously and did not send her out into the wilderness to die. So, you know, she had that, that <laughs> nurse's privilege going for her. Uh, so I, uh, and yeah, again, I don't know. I don't know how many, so I, I listed the excuses in the newsletter that the, the subsequent doctors gave me. And I don't know how many of those excuses are legitimate and how many of those excuses are doctors covering for doctors. So, you know, you don't sue. Yeah. So funny story that was not in the <clears throat> newsletter. So after all of this, well, not after in the middle of, after I was no longer dying, after the appendix was out, as I was sitting in the hospital recovering uh i got a call and it was from the hospital i was already in like on my personal cell phone not on that phone <laughs> attached to the bed i was like well why?" they are were they looking call-? for you yeah and i, and I pay answer it and they were like doing a follow-up on my er visit from two days before and they, 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 they it was like so wait wait, you're, wait they called me to follow up on my er visit and i was like Well, which ER visit? And they're like, well, what do you mean? I was like, so I went there and you sent me away and then I came back and now I'm upstairs from where you're calling me from because they had to take my appendix out. And they're like, oh, well, I'm glad you figured it out. And they they ended that call very quickly because I think it was, they were just building evidence for malpractice and they did not want that conversation to continue. Uh, So yeah, so it was good for them to follow up on me after the point at which I would have definitely been dead had had I not taken action.
0: I don't know how – I know you say that with a smirk because that's the way you talk, James. But I I wonder – you were on a clock that was ticking down, and I don't know how much longer you could have waited before you would have been past the point of no return. That septic shock is nothing to screw with, man.
1: It is not. and I mean, to my credit, because I am an incredible human being, I did drive myself what? to that hospital <laughs> after going to immediate care. And looking back, I'm going back like as I – go back and like, I wrote this story and I think back through the steps like I just get mad at like everybody at every step of the way. <laughs> I'm mad at the doctors and at the nurses from the first visit. I'm mad at everybody at immediate care who when I went in there doubled over in pain like they could clearly see I was in distress and there are 5 people in line ahead of me just sitting there minding their business and like I'm on the verge of tears. I'm clearly about to pass out. And not one of them was like, maybe you should go ahead of me in line. Like, not one of them. Like, the, <laughs> oh, best, the, the best one of them said was like, maybe you should drive yourself to the emergency room. Like, that's a good idea. No, you know what would have been a good idea? They had doctors in the back right there. Could you have not given up your turn so somebody could... Uh, instead, I go out on my own again. What if I would have passed out while driving or crashed? It just... ah. Uh man, there's nobody out there looking out for you but yourself. That's really the moral of the story. And if you can't maintain man. consciousness, you are screwed. That is that is the lesson for today. Thank you and good night.
0: <laughs> did you go to a walk-in clinic like in your little town? Yeah, or yeah. did you go? It was the I'm same. I'm surprised that in a smaller town, people weren't like, you've only got one item, I have 50, go ahead of me in the checkout lane kind of thing. Yeah, I just,
1: it it's kind of mind-boggling looking back. And it's... You know what? It's it's a situation kind of like in a in a movie. I get mad at horror movies. They're like, "Oh boy, there's a lot of dead tortured animals around here. Wonder if I should look into that." Now, nah, like it takes them so long. Like there's so many bad signs building up before you realize like you're in extraordinary circumstances. The normal rules don't apply. We don't lightly knock on doors anymore. We we kick them down. We steal cars. Yeah. We do whatever for survival. Like going back if I knew at stage 1 that this was not uh, you know, not stuck gas. I I would be like, "Oh, I'm dying." Like, that's the point where you just pound your fist on the table and they say, no, I want a second opinion. I'm going to drive myself to downtown Indianapolis if I have to. I'll go to six hospitals so somebody admits me. But I didn't do that because I didn't know we were in extraordinary circumstances. I didn't know this was the ramping up of the horror movie. And instead, I, the polite Midwesterner at every stage of the way, just followed the rules and sat in line until it almost killed me.
0: So you, uh, among your list of people I am angry at, is James Breakwell? Does his name <laughs> appear I, on that
1: apparently, list? Apparently. I just, you know, and it, I've still got that, that fear, though. And maybe you have this, too, as a guy. You, like, you don't want to go in when it's nothing. You just feel like a big pansy. I've had some embarrassing incidents of that before. I wrote about <laughs> one of them in How to Be a Man. It's just, you think it's something, <laughs> and you go in there, and you're like, you're an idiot. You're a big baby. It's nothing. I had one last year where I, I fell and thought I broke my leg on that on that race, and they wouldn't even x-ray it. They're like, ah, you're fine. You didn't break your leg and they, they wouldn't even take a look. And it, was, it turned out they were right. I felt okay, I guess I just don't understand pain. So this time I thought they, they told me, nope, nope, you, you don't understand pain. This is how it works. Like, all right, you guys went to medical school. I didn't. I'm a, I'm a comedy writer. What do I know? Well, apparently <laughs> yeah, I know, yeah, I know what it feels like up. when I'm dying. That's what I know. <laughs>
0: Uh, I I think uh, just uh, some friendly advice stop putting comedy writer under occupation on the application that you make while you're sitting in the (laughs) urgent care put like a trauma surgeon or something
1: (laughs) I know exactly what's going on here please, please take me seriously But now, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna overreact in the other direction. Like every time I have any pain, I'm gonna go in and just demand to be seen and demand surgery and all these things and it'll be nothing. So I just I I will definitely overcorrect in the wrong direction. But man, if there was ever one time I should have just caused a scene and just, you know, gone all out for me, this this was it. I missed the chance. Whew
0: I know. You're uh, burning all this energy that you need to mend right now. I know. It I, well. I, I, I am. right got a... <laughs>
1: This probably was not a good day to record. <laughs> <laughs> I'm literally recovering from surgery, I've still got a I've still got a bag hanging out of my body. Luckily, it's off camera. I thought as I went to do this, like, oh wow, I've I've never looked worse in my life, and I'm gonna record this with you right now. I, uh, you know, I've been working so hard on getting in shape and doing all this stuff, and now I can't go in the gym for like eight weeks. I've got a 20 pound weight restriction. I'm walking slow. I'm leaking fluids. My abdomen is swollen up. It looks like I've gained 40 pounds when I've been eating almost <clears throat> yeah. no yeah, food. Yeah. It's just because I'm. Not only are all my inners just bruised and broken, but I'm, I'm full of air. They, like, pump me full of oxygen. That yep. apparently how it's going to come out at some point is it's going to drift up to the highest point of my body it can get to, like, maybe my arms and shoulders. And then those will swell up, and I guess the air will just gradually go through my skin unless I – I don't know if I have the option to pop it like a balloon or not. But there are – there are strange and unpleasant things ahead, like for how this tube comes out. Like they put it in when I was asleep, and I'm really not clear on the process on how it comes out. But I, I'm kind of afraid it just involves one big yank, and that, uh, that is what uh, keeps me up at night.
0: Uh, was it uh, – let's see if we can be disturbed. No, it's not here. a, it's not it a, a s- catheter. It's not a catheter. Okay, because I've got a little experience in that arena that I, I could walk you through. <laughs> you
1: know what? That was my, my biggest fear through all this, other than dying, which I was pretty sure, like, as bad as it was, I figured, you know, I'm probably too stubborn to die. I drove myself here. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll make it. But, like, my big fear was that they were going to catheterize me. As I've I've heard yeah. so much about that. At every step, I kept asking them, like, telling me about, like, cutting me open or removing body parts and all this, poison pumping through my body. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like... Is there gonna be a catheter? And they finally said, yes, there was, but uh, they did it after I was already out. And they removed it yeah. before I woke up, which was spectacular. Oh, really? And they had, to oh. Get, they had to give me one, though, because my appendix, which is apparently in the wrong spot, either because it swelled and shifted or because it was just always there, was right behind my bladder, which was at the final stage of my almost dying. That's where all the pain was, which is quite unpleasant. Yeah. They're like, we have no idea if your bladder's actually been able to empty or not because it's got this giant thing smashing it. So they had to, <laughs> they had to do that to get the stuff out.
0: Well, and uh, from your description, that giant thing looked like Thor's hammer by the time they went in to get it. It was, I
1: I would describe it as a big, ugly slug. Like, I don't know what a healthy appendix looks like, but (laughs) I think it's supposed to be about the width of your your pinky. And mine was the width of like four pinkies, which to me is not like, I guess, you know, quadrupling in size is not you know, a good thing for any organ, you know, your liver quadruples in size, that's, there's no room for that, but such a small thing, you'd think there'd be enough space in there to fit that, but apparently not, apparently that getting larger is a very big and not so good
0: deal. And that's why I keep coming back to, I can't believe they didn't go out of their way to rule out an appendicitis before turning you loose into the world, knowing how bad the consequences are of missing an appendicitis. Yeah,
1: it just th- there are a lot of things that could happen. But you know, I guess I just should be glad that I have a job, where the, I, when I screw up, people don't die. You know, if I if I slack off and don't want to give it my all, you get a crappy tweet or a bad newsletter. Like if you're a doctor <laughs> at three thirty in the what? morning and you're not feeling it, like. Somebody's going to die, and that's what almost happened there. Like he, not he, he, did, <laughs> he did not have his best day at the office. I don't know why. Maybe he had a fight with his wife. Maybe he was just bored. Maybe he's considering a career change. I don't know, but yeah. I feel like he did not give me his best, and that was very much to my detriment. Was he an M.D.? Yeah, I mean, you you can't be an emergency room doctor and not be an MD. Oh, you mean like a oh, physician's oh, assistant or something? Oh, I thought walk-in clinic. No, guy. I never got to the people at the walk-in clinic. They were behind a wooden door that oh. would not open for me the guy dying in their waiting room. I was not important enough to be moved up. I had—I drove myself to immediate care when at the point where I was – you can argue when the septic shock began. But by the time I got there, I was definitely 100% in septic shock. Oh. And I drove myself there. I waited for – for 12 minutes in septic shock and then i drove myself two miles to the hospital still in septic shock and then checked myself in and then waited another 20 minutes for some drugs it was... hero
0: or moron you decide <laughs> i don't know what else i was
1: gonna do I, you can't get drugs fat, you can't just walk in and give yourself the drugs steve that's not how it works <laughs>
0: No, driving yourself all around. What was I, I going to do? Pain. Was
1: I going to wait for a ride? How is that going to get me drugs faster? Like maybe if, <laughs> maybe if I add another 30 minutes to have my wife drive home from work and take me, that will speed up this process. Or maybe oh, if I wait for an is... ambulance to drive from the hospital to me, load me up and take me back, like the fastest possible way I could get from immediate care to the hospital was to drive myself. There was no faster way to do it.
0: This is the problem with you being at war with your neighbors. Like, uh, if you need a cup of sugar, and in this case, you needed a big cup of sugar, you got nobody's door to knock on, James.
1: You know, I had a neighbor mow my lawn. Not all my neighbors hate me. Just the one who you unfairly defended. (laughs) And, like, honestly, that podcast we did about that neighbor comes up in my head every time I go past her house. I want to keep arguing (laughs) with you because I cannot believe you defended her. She has six parking spots around her house because she's in a corner. She uses one, like once a month and you want her to shut all those down and you think anyone who parks there, anyone at all owes her a cake. Meanwhile, I've got two spots in front of my house freely available to the public. The people park in all the time. Never once have I complained to anyone about that and I get nothing. And I just don't understand your methodology.
0: But This, now, is- this has to be an age thing because I just went through this with a client who had a Not necessarily a minor problem. He had a problem with his literal next door neighbor and his solution was to go to the HOA president and have the HOA president intervene and then he was mad that the president said who was intervening. I said, why did not you just knock on the guy's door? And he said, that literally never crossed my mind so i I don't know what's wrong with you kids in this generation james but there's something about the word knock on someone's door that's more than one word i suppose the concept of having a friendly and direct conversation does not occur to you people
1: okay so you you have completely misconstrued the entire situation a friendly and direct conversation would have been my neighbor saying hey I have no legal authority over any of the six spaces around my house, (laughs) but I would appreciate it if you didn't park in front of it because it bothers me. And then I'd be like, Uh well, I guess I can park someplace else. I can't guarantee I'll do it all the time, but if there's other spots available, sure. I'll park someplace else. What would not have been that is leaving a passive aggressive unsigned note on nice Uh frilly edged paper under my windshield wiper saying, (laughs) I can't believe I have to say this, but is there something wrong with the parking spots in front of your house? (laughs) And then I I addressed it immediately, not with the city, not with the police. I addressed it with her. I sent her a text Uh message and said, hey, is this from you? And then she doubled down and went more crazy. And I said, okay, (laughs) cool. Feel free to use any of the spots in front of our house if you need extra parking because they're free and open to everybody because nobody owns them. Have a great day. That's that Midwest politeness that nearly got me killed.
0: Oh, (sighs) my God. Okay, so... This is obviously me misconstruing the situation. When you did have an honest and direct face-to-face conversation with, oh no, wait a minute, I, I don't believe the words "face to face" ever. came It was up a text message. She communicated
1: with me on paper, and I communicated with her directly on text. What was it going to be gained by going face to face, Steve? What, what, what happens because, there? You would just, so, I, there are so many people today that think that, like, then they're like you, they're older, like, well, if I could just see somebody face to face, I would fix this. It doesn't change anything. The circumstances don't change. I don't need to see your ugly face to know who owns the parking spot. <laughs>
0: there is a level of civility that may not change things, but you certainly have a higher probability of changing things if you take the high road. I took the high road. Cr- You didn't take the high road! You shot her a text message! She probably doesn't even know how to use the damn app that opens text messages on her phone. And here's this guy from across the street, this millennial, coming at her full bore, talking sarcastically about how free his parking spaces are, wink wink, to try to let me know in a very subtle, some would say passive-aggressive way, that the spots in front of my house are free also when you could have made a bunt cake, walked over, knocked on the door, and said, I wish you would have just come to me directly. We could have worked this out. And then had some fine international coffee with her, eaten the bunt cake on her lanai, and worked all of this out.
1: So help me understand. So when the public yeah. parks in front of my house on these public parking spaces for public events, or just every day going to work, going to the local restaurants and bars and here, Should they each give me a cake every time they park on these public parking spaces? Is that the definition of free parking? When I go to Walmart and park in the parking spots there, do I owe Walmart a cake? Like, help me understand the meaning of free parking here.
0: I'm not arguing with the logistics of your position, James. I'm arguing with the way they were handled. I... I...
1: I can't even Steve. I don't I I, I have no common ground I with know. you on this issue what whatsoever. Saying. I just you who who is who is all about standing up and defending yourself and standing up to bullies, you see some woman who comes out for an issue <laughs> she has no jurisdiction over. And you're like, What you should do <laughs> is you should cave in and placate her. Not only should you never park in her spots <laughs> again, not only should no one ever park in her spots again, but you should give her a cake and retreat with your tail between your legs. But also, you yourself will not follow these rules, and you will continue to let everyone park in your spots, as the law demands, and receive no compensation. That is your solution to this. All to make sure one old woman, who is in the wrong, is not angry with me. Uh... Yeah, I don't
0: good. think I would say so. She's not angry with you. I'm saying so we can work something out in a way that is immediate and potentially mutually agreeable. What what would the be way the way that it happened? It, there's nothing mutually agreeable about anything the way it landed with
1: you. So in your scenario, where yeah. I give her a cake and I let her decide what happens over there, like what's what's the benefit for me? What do I gain in this
0: scenario? You may make a friend, you may make a neighbor that you can talk to once in a while and not avert your gaze whenever she's out walking her little pomegranate dog, or you might be able to work out a solution where you're not resentful and bitching to me about it on uh, 10 minutes to save your marriage, which uh, was a pretty good episode a while ago, by the way.
1: I'm not hearing any benefit to me. I'm not, I I gain (laughs) nothing, I gain nothing. I lose parking spots and I gain nothing. I lose the ingredients to a cake and I
0: learn. I lose parking real estate. This is... Well, you may not. That's my point. Uh, you know what? Now that... you are guaranteed mutually assured destruction here that you're both going to call the city or do something to sabotage each other's lawn or I don't know what you do. Poison each other's pets. But the way I'm working it out, there's at least a shot at singing Kumbaya at the end of the day and holding hands while watching the sunset.
1: I do gain some joy now because again, she's on the corner and has six spots and also a driveway and a garage where it's just where she actually parks. But now (laughs) when anybody uses one of those six spots, it just lights up Uh my heart with joy. As I look over (laughs) there and think of how much pain it must be causing her to have the public use par- public spaces. I imagine it's the same thing people feel like when they live near a park, and they see the public who pays for this park using this park. Mm-hmm. Like, how dare the public come to my park, which is near my house, therefore I own it. You know, it's it's great. It's you. The public pays for things, the public gets to use things. I guess I just believe in democracy. I don't know what's going over on down there in Communist Tennessee, where you own your property, <laughs> and also your neighbor's property. I mean, I had to quit a job because of people like her. Back when I I was at the newspaper, it drove me insane. Nobody wants zoning. Nobody wants rules. Nobody wants anyone to be able to tell them what to do with their property. They are free citizens. They can do what they want. But the second anybody else wants to build anything near them, they want to tell that person what to do. That was every public meeting I ever went to. You think you can just build a fire station in my neighborhood? How dare you? You're going to build a hospital here? I think not. There is no building you can think of, not one that somebody won't come out in public and complain about. And they will complain about it in a very specific way. They will say, this is going to kill my children. Like, honest to God. <laughs> They're like, you can't, oh, wow. you can't build a hospital here. There's going to be ambulances running up and down. What if it runs over my kid? Well, gee, Martha, I bet you they'll stop and they'll toss that kid in the back of the ambulance and they'll take him right to the ER. And then they'll misdiagnose him. That's what's going to happen.
0: Oh, hey, hey, I'm seen. Okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Brought that full circle. <laughs>
0: That was well done. And now we've brought the viewers, uh, all three of them, on Wrong and Wronger, up to speed with the uh, bizarre and somewhat avoidable argument you're having with your neighbor across the street.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I can't believe, I can't believe after the second time we've revisited this topic that you're just as stubborn as before. This just convinces me of the futility of addressing it with her face-to-face, because you're of, of the same generation. She... You own your neighbor's property. She owns all the land around her. It just, it is what it is. Old folks can't be reasoned with. So I guess it's good that we have uh, this podcast.
0: If if I could bring this into the purview of what we've been talking about, I couldn't think of that word at first, and it did not come Mm -hmm. out willingly, that uh, this is how doctors keep themselves from getting sued, is if they are likable to their patients. And so your neighbors are much more likely to work with you if they like you and you seem to take great pride in your neighborhood of being the unlikable curmudgeon that basically deep down you really i are, don't James. i haven't
1: done anything to be unlikable i parked on the street that's all i did and she gave me an angry note and i replied very politely and that was it that was uh, it okay
0: oh. We'll see the feedback we get on this episode, as I'm quite certain people will say James is obviously whacked out on painkillers and not in his right mind as he talked through this scenario with Dr. Steve. But we got to walk it out of here, James. Do you have any closing thoughts on this? Like, you know, now that I'm clearing myself of the deluded, you're actually right.
1: I have so little energy after the surgery, and I clearly misspent it by using it on this conversation with you.
0: I like how you had to pause to gather yourself before (laughs) saying that. Well, (laughs) We'll give you a week or two, depending on how things fly into the fan for James and myself, to uh, gather yourselves, too, and prepare for the next Wrong and Wronger. But in the meantime, this is Steve Williams, Dr. Steve, for James the Exploding and Mending, and uh, (laughs) Bank Carrie and Breakwell saying, or Unicorn Breakwell saying, thanks for watching, thanks for listening, and as always, remember, two wrongs can make a right.